Um, so, um, yeah, so have y'all ever been to, like, an event, right, and, and then realized that you cared a lot more than other people? Like, have you ever had that experience? So this happens to me a lot because I care a lot about the Houston Dynamo, Houston Dynamo FC, right? Um, that is, that's my, that's my club. That's, like, Scroggins is typically, shut up, Nestor, Scroggins is typically... A, uh, an even kill, not high or low kind of guy, but when I watch the Dynamo play, I will yell at the TV. Like, I devolve into, like, an ape and just scream, like, cross the ball! You know, like, totally that guy, right? Um, and the most fun I have is at games. Like, I love being able to go to the games. Now they're, like, six hours away, but back in the day, when I lived in Huntsville, I could go often. In fact, my wife and I, went really often. We would kind of make it a, a anniversary tradition that we'd go to a game. And I think this is a picture of us at a game like right after Harold was born. And uh, like, look, look how stupid I am. It's like Texas and I'm wearing a scarf, you know, because that's what you do at soccer games, right? And uh, so that's us at uh, BBVA Stadium in, in Houston, or as I like to call it, the orange oven, because it's like a thousand degrees they're like, hey, you know what's cool? A stadium in direct sunlight in Houston all summer long. Have fun. Don't die. That'll be $5,000 for a bottle of water, please. <laughs> but I, I, love, I love the Houston Dynamo. Like, I really, really, really love them. I watch as many games as I can. I go to as many games as I can. I own multiple Houston Dynamo jerseys. I hate FC Dallas with a burning, fiery passion. And I will grow to hate Austin FC with as much passion uh, yeah, anyway, Austin's, like, team crest, like, go back one slide. So, this is the Dynamo's, like, new badge, just uh, not our, our old one was better. This one's stupid. Um, we look like a baseball team. Look at that. It's like, somebody just, like, looked at, like, who, like, the Padres, and were like, or the San Francisco Giants, and was just like, yeah, we can do that. It's, it's dumb. And then a lightning bolt? What does that have to do with anything? Like, we're not, anyway, we're not. I watch us play all the time. Anyway. Austin's, Austin's badge looks like it has broccoli on it. If I had been smarter, like they have this tree that's green, and so we just call them the fighting broccoli. Um, but Matthew McConaughey is a partial owner of that team, so uh, maybe that green tree stands for something else. Anyway, hey, um, all right, all right, all right, all right. So I remember one time I went to a game with friends, right? Um, there was a group of us that, uh, well, there was actually two of us, me and my buddy Jake. We actually cared, and we're like, hey, they're doing, they were doing like a, uh, uh, a 713 uh, promotion. 713 is the area code for Houston, so it was like $7 for a ticket, and then you get a dollar hot dogs and then $3 drink, right? Like, freaking awesome deal for a professional sporting event. Like, parking was more expensive than the ticket, right? And so there's a big bunch of us that went. And, like, me and my buddy Jake, we're the ones that really care. We could name the roster, that whole thing. You know, we're, like, heckling the other team because that's what you do when you go to sports events. And, uh, and so we're, like, into it. And we're, like, screaming and yelling. And then I had another f couple friends. And, and these girls, um, they, they went because everyone else was, right? So they're wearing orange. They're wearing the right colors, you know. And, and, and they're there, and they're cheering it semi-appropriate times, you know, they're kind of picking up the, the thing. Um, but you could tell that they just didn't care. You know, they, they just didn't care. They were like, spent more time like fixing their hair and taking a selfie, you know? And, and I was like, just, man, I, it would be cool if we all just like really cared about the team. Like, look, it's 
Boniac Garcia, and he's flying down the right wing, and that's what he does, and it's going to be awesome, but they're like too busy taking selfies, you know? And, I, and, then, and then the worst was on social media, they posted, uh, let's go Dynamo's, right? It's Dynamo. It's a collective noun. We are collectively a Dynamo. There's not lots of there's not lots of teams playing. There was one Dynamo team playing. And like, let's go Dynamos. That's like saying, I have two jeans. You know what I mean? Like, one jeans, two jeans. Like, what are you doing? Like, and then I was just, I'm done. I'm done. You don't care about this as much as I do. And I, I refuse to go on another game, go to another match with them ever again. And I haven't to this day. It's been like six years. And that's how much I care. Like, they didn't even bother to say the team's name right. You know what I mean? See, again, I'm having one of those moments where I care and no one else does. You see what I'm saying? So what we're going to talk about right now is, is, uh, is similar to that situation, right? Where you care and someone else doesn't, but you're at the same thing, right? We're going to look at an instance from Jesus' life and ministry where that happens. So if you have your Bibles with you, open up to John chapter 6. And um, we're going to kind of bounce around because we're, we're taking a, a kind of thousand-foot view of the chapter, but we're going to pull out a couple of verses. So John chapter 6, uh, verse 15, and then we're going to skip down to verses 22 through 27. And it's on the screen if you need it. This is the NIV, if anyone cares about the translation. Another thing that I care about, no one else does. Amen. All right. So, here we are. Verse 15, it says, Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. The next day, the crowd that had stayed on the opposite shore of the lake realized that only one boat had been there, and that Jesus had not entered it with his disciples, but that they had gone away alone. Then some boots, boats <laughs> from Tiberias landed, I turned Canadian for a minute there, landed near the place where the people had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. Once the crowd realized that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and went to Capernaum in search of Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, you were looking for me not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we need you to speak to us. God, we need you to come and join us. Father, we want you to know that you are invited here. You are welcome here. And we want you to be here. Will you come and be Lord of our lives? In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So just to give you some context, so what's just happened is uh, Jesus has been running around doing a lot of preaching, getting into some arguments with Pharisees and Sadducees and all of that stuff. And then, and then at the beginning of chapter 6, he feeds the 5,000, which is pretty cool. You know, he like, just takes some fat kid's lunch and then feeds 5,000 people with it. I know he was a fat kid because it was the Iron Age and he had like five loaves and three fish, all right? Like everyone else was like subsistence farming. They're eating like rotten turnips for, for dinner and he's got like a lunch that could feed a family. He was a fat kid, okay? Like just, this is how it is. So as Pastor Landon says, he took a kid's lunchable and, paid, and, and fed like 5,000 people, right? 
And so what we have in verse 15 is immediately after that, the people are like, let's make this dude king, right? And Jesus is like, I ain't about that. And he ran for the hills, literally ran to the hills. And then he hid, right? And then during the night, what happens next is, uh, we'll, we'll see this in a second, is the disciples get in a boat and they just head away from their kind of north of Bethsaida and they head across the northern half of the lake and they land at Capernaum, which is where Peter is from. It's kind of the home base that Jesus is chilling out in, right? And this is the part where Jesus walks on water, right? So Jesus walks on water and then everybody else wakes up. They're like, hey, Jesus' disciples are gone. And that's where they get in the boats or boots and go across the sea. Y'all tracking, right? So here we have two basic groups of people, right? We have like that crowd that wanted to crown Jesus king. And then we have the disciples, right? Two groups that followed Jesus. Both of them were following or pursuing after Jesus. But I think that we should compare and contrast them because they're really not exactly the same. Does that make sense? So the first group that we could talk about is is the crowd that wanted to crown Jesus as king, right? They seemed to do everything right. They wanted to make him a king, which is like the, what he is, right? Lord of lords, king of kings, that whole thing. So they had that right, right? They, they crossed a sea to be near him, right? They, I don't know if they like straight up just like stole boats or what, but, but they found a way to get over to where Jesus was, right? They woke up like, where's Jesus? I don't know. Let's get in the boat. Let's find him, right? They, they sought him out. That's really good, right? And they recognized that Jesus could be a source of provision. Like, this dude can feed us, right? He took that Lunchable, and we're all stuffed now, so... Let's keep following this guy because he has what we need. Does that make sense? That sounds pretty reasonable, right? So they, so on the surface, they look like they have everything right. But the terrifying lesson that we see is that they are not everything that they should be. Because on the surface, they're doing all these things are right that are right, but Jesus wants nothing to do with them. So how do we reconcile this juxtaposition? To really understand what went wrong, we got to look at the other group, and that's the disciples. So starting in verse 16, it says, When evening came, his disciples went down to the lake, where they got into a boat and set off across the lake for Capernaum. By now it was dark, and Jesus had not yet joined them. A strong wind was blowing, and the waters grew rough. When they had rowed out about three or four miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water, and they were frightened, as they should be. But he said to them, It is I, don't be afraid. Then they were willing to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. So on a surface level, we can look at this group, the disciples, and it looks like they did a lot of things wrong. Right? First, Jesus went off into the mountain, into the hills, and they didn't follow him. They just, like, let him go. Like, sure, Lord and Savior, later. Right? And then, like, not only did they not follow him, but they straight up left him. They just left him. Have you ever left a friend at a party or something where you just, later, I'm, I'm out. Good luck getting home. See ya. You know? That, that's horrible. Like, if you did that to me, I would hunt you down and slap you, you know? 
But no, they, they, they just leave him. They just get in a boat and sail across a sea. What, is, what are they thinking? And then they, they were scared of Jesus. They see him and they're terrified. And, and their whole task was to get across the sea, and they couldn't even do that. Because once Jesus got into the boat, they immediately reached their destination. So they didn't even do themselves what they set out to do. Do you see how on the surface level this looks like a lot of stupidity? Yeah? So what is the difference between these two groups and what can we learn? And I'm sure you can kind of see where I'm going with this, right? In Samuel, 1 Samuel 16, 7, it says, The Lord does not look at the things that people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So there was something different on the heart level between these two groups. We have one group that on the outside, on the exterior, is making all of the right decisions and doing all the right things and saying all the right things. And then we have another group that on the exterior looks like they're doing all the wrong things and like almost borderline actively stupid things. I'm not much of a sailor, but who gets in a boat at night? to sail like aren't don't you want to sleep i don't know right but what we can do is we can look at the response and interaction of jesus with the crowd later and discern what jesus saw in their hearts so that's what we're going to do shocking right what we do know is that Wrong motives produced results that looked good. Wrong motives still produced results that looked good. And with the disciples, we can see that good motives produced results that externally looked bad. And here's what that means. One group was an audience. That group that wanted to crown Jesus king was an audience. The other group was an army. See, they're, they're strikingly similar groups. They're very, very similar because they gather together, together and, and they all say the same things and, and they show up for the same reasons, right? They're collective groups. But their motives are completely different. You see, the audience, their motive that Jesus saw in their heart was that they wanted to make him king because of what they could get out of him. They wanted to make him king because of what they could get out of him. They wanted a king that would keep their bellies full. They came to him to have him fix problems or avoid problems. A problem of what are we going to eat today, which is a pretty pressing problem, but Hey, Jesus can fix this for me. I won't have to worry about it anymore. I'll follow him. But what, what you have when you take that attitude, when that's the motive of your heart, what you wind up with is a transactional relationship. A transactional relationship. I'll make you my king if you continue to feed me. Essentially, they just wanted to get fat off of Jesus. 
There's a lot of parallels we can draw there in there. Why do you come to Jesus? Is it so that you can have friends? So you can fit in in a group? So you can gain status by being a leader somehow? Why did you come to Jesus? Are you trying to get fat off the bread he can give you? See, the tragedy of a transactional relationship is that it's not a love relationship. What Jesus wants is the love relationship of a bride and a groom. I married my wife because she's worth marrying. Not because she's a fantastic cook, which she is. But I married her because she's worth being with. That's what you look for. I didn't marry her because of what she could do for me. And an army recognizes this. An army sees Jesus as the king. He's the one worth following. I think of Matthew 16, Peter's confession. He says, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And then after all these people leave because of Jesus' harsh teaching, Jesus, uh, Peter says, we've left everything to follow you. We've left everything to follow you. What else do we have? Do you see the difference? One values Jesus for who he is, and the other values Jesus for what he does for them. Audience versus army. Secondly, an audience doesn't want to do any work for themselves. They didn't want to do anything. Later on, when Jesus has confronted them, they, they're talking to him and they say, Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written, He gave them bread from heaven to eat. And then they ask him for another sign. So what they're saying is, Hey, Moses didn't even make us bring bread and fish. It just fell out of the sky. Are you going to do that for us, Jesus? We don't even want to bring anything. We just want to gain. An audience has no stomach for sacrifice. They want God to go and do it all for them. They want a God who will serve them. Jesus, don't make me bring a loaf of bread. You can just make it fall out of the sky. Again, why do you follow Jesus? Are you willing to suffer and to sacrifice for him? See, an army is willing to sacrifice. The army of Jesus is willing to sacrifice for Jesus. The disciples departed for Capernaum in the evening when they should have been resting out of obedience even though it meant leaving Jesus behind. They were willing to leave the comfort of God's presence to go where he commanded them to go. Do you catch that? They were willing to leave the comfort of God's presence to go where he wanted them to go. 
Are you willing to sacrifice your comfort for His sake? Are you willing to bring something to the table that God can use? Maybe that means you're, you're giving some of your time. Maybe that means your GPA slips by a point or two so that you can go to somewhere where God's presence isn't. Like that dorm room next to yours. Like that person sitting next to you in class. Like that person sitting in the UC by themselves that doesn't know the Lord. An audience is willing to cross the sea. Are you? The disciples were willing to endure hardship by sailing through a rough storm in order to do what Jesus asked. How much are you willing to suffer because he is worthy? An audience only cares for the immediate and the present. An audience only cares for the immediate and present. In verse 30, it says, So they asked him, What sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? What a stupid question. Like, Jesus, what have you done for me lately? Uh, literally yesterday, I fed 5,000 people, and overnight, I walked on water. You tell me the last 12 hours, like... All of a sudden, now you need another sign? What an arrogant question. Jesus even addresses us six verses later in verse 36. He says, But as I told you, you have seen me and still not believe. You've seen me and you still don't believe. See, they were incapable of seeing the deeper truth that Jesus was teaching. Further on in the chapter, after verse 40, he gets in a conversation. And he says, I am the bread of life. I am the bread that comes out of heaven. You see, the audience was like, hey, Jesus, give us that bread that comes out of heaven that I only have to eat once so that I don't have to worry about being hungry anymore. And he was saying, no, I am the bread that gives you real life. Not this temporary, scratching out an existence kind of life, wondering if every, anything you ever do will ever matter. But Jesus is saying, if you take my bread, if you take my life upon you, if you make me your king, your life will matter. Do you see that? But they, they couldn't see beyond the present. And right at the end of the chapter when he says, you must eat of my flesh and drink of my blood. My flesh is real bread and my blood is real drink. They left. They ran away in droves. Because he had said something that was unpopular. See, Jesus then, when he's not feeding 5,000 people and he's telling hard truths to the crowd, then he's not the cool thing to be around. He's not tickling their ears with parables and stories. He's not entertaining them anymore. So they go and find something else. 
But an army that values Jesus, they see victory from afar. They can see the life that he's talking about. Verse 19, it says, When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water, and they were frightened. But he said to them, It is I, don't be afraid. See, in that moment, they're tired. It's the middle of the night. The seas are rough, and they're struggling against the wind and waves. It's almost as if the wind and waves didn't want them to get to Capernaum. All these circumstances were fighting against them. And then they see this figure walking on the water. And they're like, what is this? It's a ghost. But then they heard his voice. It is I, don't be afraid. Everything around them was wrong. Everything around them seemed to be working against them. And it was costing them a lot. But then they heard his voice. They persevered because they trusted him. All they needed to hear was his voice. It's like in an army, all they need to hear is the command. March, go, fire. And they do it. Whereas an audience has to be persuaded, has to be enticed. And you have to give them a free t-shirt at the end. But no, Jesus' voice was all they needed. The scripture doesn't say it, but I believe that Jesus had told them, hey, and in the evening, just get in a boat and head to Capernaum. I'll catch up to you. Because that's what makes the most sense in the story. And so they were obeying Jesus and things were difficult. But they knew that obedience was better than any present comfort. And then they heard his voice. And then their obedience was made complete because they reached the shore right when he got in the boat. Do you see that? They were willing to endure hardship to obey a command from Jesus. So this whole semester, we have been basing every sermon around one idea. Lordship. Lordship. And what that means is, who's in charge of your life? Who is in charge of your life? The question that we say that you need to ask yourself to answer that is, why do you do what you do, and whom do you do it for? Why do you do what you do, and whom do you do it for? If the, question, if the answer to that question is me, you're one of the audience. And no matter how incessantly you tell Jesus, I want you to be my king, he will run from you. He will flee you. But if the reason that you do something is Jesus, why do I do what I do, and whom do I do it for, and you answer that with Jesus, then you can endure any hardship, and you're willing to go to places where he doesn't 
exist yet, where his presence is not. And you're willing to travel over rough seas in the middle of the night. And you're willing to be scared because you've heard his voice. Because you've spent time with your Lord. You know what his voice sounds like. So our goal this whole semester, it's just been, I'm sure it's been repetitive to listen to, but this whole semester, we have been preaching about lordship. Because we don't want to be an audience. We don't show up here to have a good time, to gather together, to have a big crowd, put on a good show. I mean, we don't have smoke and lights going on. And that's intentional. In fact, there's some aspects of Chi Alpha that we intentionally just don't put effort into because we don't care. Or I don't. We don't value it because what we value is you walking with Jesus. Through rough seas in the middle of night towards places where he has not arrived yet. That's what we want, an army, not an audience. Because the same people that were pleading with Jesus that afternoon to make him king were the same people yelling crucify him just a short time later. I want us to be an army. I want us to be sold out for Jesus and his kingdom. So this summer, and the worship team can come up, I'm sorry. This summer is going to reveal for us what group we fall into. This summer is going to be a real litmus test for a lot of us. Are we a member of an audience that came here to be entertained and fed and to get out of it things that will make our lives better? Or are we a member of an army that is sworn to love, serve, and obey their king no matter the cost? Which one are we? The summer will reveal that. Will your walk with God flounder and fail when you don't have all the trappings of fellowship? When you don't have Pam and Jonathan leading worship? When you don't have the preaching of Richard and James? Will you continue to walk with God? Will you continue to have quiet times? Will you read your Bible when you don't have to teach a, a small group lesson? Why do you do what you do? And who do you do it for? Do you open the Bible because you want Jesus to feed you? Or do you open your Bible because he's worth being with? Which one? If you commit yourself, if you commit yourself to Jesus, to make him your prime motivation in life, then the summer will reveal it.
and you don't have to come back from the summer and, and we'll see you in the fall. You don't have to come back trying to make up the ground that you lost. You don't have to go back home and fall back into those old patterns and just become a part of the crowd. You can actually take Jesus to a place he has not arrived yet. He is sending you across the sea to Capernaum, to your home, to your home base. That's what he's doing. And he's saying, I'll meet you there. Will you do that? Will you do that? So, the worship team's going to play a song. It just happens to be like my favorite worship, time, worship song of all time. That's fine. But they're going to play a song. And what I want of you is to consider the question. Are you a part of an army or an audience? Which one is it? And if you need to get right with God and say, Lord, I'm sorry, I've been trying to use you for my own gain and for my own benefits. I've been trying to use you because of what you do for me and what I can get out of it. Then I want you to come to the front to the altar. Yeah, everyone's going to see it too. It's going to be awkward and uncomfortable. But not one person is going to think... Look at that moron getting right with God. Jeez. Right? No one's going to think that. And if you're a little bit embarrassed, grab the person that brought you. And I promise you, they will run to the front with you. If you ask real nice, they might give you a piggyback. Who Who knows? You know, we'll see. But if you need to set things right, if you need to leave behind the crowd and get in that boat and sail across the Sea of Galilee to Capernaum, let's do it. Come to the front, come to the altar, and let's get right with God. Let's make Him our Lord. Amen? Heavenly Father, Lord, we love You. Lord, will You speak to us? Will You help us orient our lives in the correct way, Lord? Will You become our king not our entertainment Jesus we love you Lord I pray that you will speak to everyone here Holy Spirit we know that you're moving and you're working and we love you